everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I'm the host of the show. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety. So welcome, everybody, to this question and answer-based podcast uh, for all of you. If you have a question that you'd love for me to go over and to talk about, if you have some interest or questions about OCD and anxiety, how it how it works, what's going on with it, how to how to help with it. If you have a loved one with OCD and anxiety and you want to try to help them and you uh, have a question about it, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go over to the submit a question link, and uh, you can uh, ask me a question there. Also, as I've as I mentioned on a previous episode, if you have a success story, if you have a, a story where you are trying or and, and working on your anxiety, you saw a therapist, or you on your own were just trying to face your fears, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message and send me a success story. I have an added little little uh, drop down link just so you can note that it is a success story. Um, I want to try to start sharing those. I think it's it's valid and important um, or valuable and important uh, to share some of those for folks. Folks who are, you know, kind of on the front end of therapy or, or on the front end of trying to challenge themselves and to, to, to hear people who are on the tail end of it and uh, to hear their stories about overcoming it and finding uh, uh, peace and finding freedom at the very end of all of it. And all of the, 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 the pain of exposures, the struggle with exposures and, and not getting certainty and all the stuff that we talk about here is worth it. Um, and I'll say this, it's not just for OCD, everybody. If you have generalized anxiety stuff, if you have social anxiety stuff, if you have phobias, uh, that's the stuff that I want to hear about as well, how you overcame your phobias. You overcame fear of spiders, fear of heights, fear of public speaking. If you had str- uh, some uh, some struggles with trying to put yourself out there at work, but put yourself out there in school and trying to make friends and how you you pushed through that anxiety and, and, and achieved success. I want to hear about it. And also, if you're still struggling, I want to hear about that too. And I want to see how I can and how this community can help encourage people a little bit further. Ah, so everybody, I hope everybody out there is doing well. Um, I am also doing well this week, I suppose. And nothing super exciting, nothing super boring to uh, complain about. And you know me, I can complain about anything. But, um, but, but here we are in this very weird position. So as a reminder, um, if you have nothing going on the weekend of uh, or the day of January 31st, excuse me, July 31st, I've been doing that all day, meaning July, saying January. <sighs> Here's where we are. It's 2021, everybody. And sometimes when I'm writing a check or writing the date, I'll write like like 2018, 2015. It's not even close. Like, you know how in the first part of the year, you start writing 2020 when it's 2021. Next year at the change of the year, we'll start writing 2021 and go, ah, heck, we'll scratch out that one and write in a two or something like that. My brain just goes, oh, it's 1997. Just put that in. Maybe that's me getting old. Well, that sucks. Anyways, well, it is what it is. So anyways, if you have nothing going on January so oh, I did it again. All right, I did it again. If you have nothing going on, July 31st, it's a Saturday. 
and you would like to learn more about OCD and try to get some tips and tricks and advice and guidance, uh, OCD SoCal is uh, is an affiliate of the IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation, and they are going to be holding their fifth annual virtual conference. So if you have questions about it or want to learn more about it, go over to OCDSoCal.org, so O-C-D-S-O-C-A-L.org, uh, and you can learn a little bit about it. So it's going to be from 9 to 5.30 Pacific time, but remember, it's virtual, so you can be literally anywhere in the world. And um, as it turns out, I am going to be speaking. Um, I'm going to be joined by Lauren McMeekin and Kelly Frankie, and we're going to be talking about ERP and how to do it and how and what it's about and why you do it and uh, what are some ways that you can make it fun and you can make it doable. But it's not just that. There are going to be people talking about um, marriage as it relates to OCD, talking about uh, there's going to be some uh, psychology or some psychiatrists talking about um, uh, medication, talking about hoarding disorder, talking about ticks and Tourette's disorder, talking about perinatal postpartum OCD. There's going to be a ton of very, very wide range of things that you can be talking about. So uh, if you would like to learn more about it, go over to OCD SoCal and you can register there. And I think it's only like 25 bucks. It's something pretty, pretty affordable. But um, there may also be... um, I'm looking at the website right now. There may also be some scholarships available, but go over there and check it out. It is 25 bucks. So again, ocdsocal.org, uh, uh, excuse me, not .com. So, all right, everybody. So this is going to be another question and answer based episode. So I have a couple of questions I'm going to be going over and they're going to be on a pretty wide range of information. So I'm going to get into the questions here in just a moment. But remember, if, if you feel that I missed something or you want to add something or you want to give some of these folks some encouragement, uh, uh, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go over uh, to this. Again, it's, it'll be in the submit a question part of it. But uh, add your comment, add your, your little bit, or you can go over to the episode page of this at fearcast.com, fearcastpodcast.com, and add a comment at the bottom if you want to offer that encouragement or want to add something else to help supplement my answer go for it um and uh and if they if if it makes sense i'll probably um uh add those in a future episode as uh feedback so all right everybody without further ado here are the questions All right, this question comes from Russ. Russ says, Hello, Kevin. My question for the Fearcast has to do with false memory OCD. This has been the toughest OCD theme for me to face. My intrusive thoughts that hook me come in the form of an accusation that I might have done some kind of sexual act or behavior that I find horrifying. And it puts parenthetically, molesting someone, for example. They go on to say, I know that I have to accept the uncertainty about these thoughts, but they bring powerful feelings of guilt. My question is, if I do ERP for these fears and these still continue to bother me over time, does that have any indication that the false memory might actually be true? Also, could you give some examples of how to do ERP for false memory OCD? I hope you can answer my question on the show. Thanks for providing this resource. All right, Russ, first and foremost, the presence of the feeling, no matter how intense, is not evidence itself that something happened. 
So just because you feel bad or that feeling lingers does not mean that then something actually happened, especially in the case of false memory OCD. I should mention for those who are unaware of what false memory OCD, it kind of fits within the, the, the realm of real event OCD, but it's kind of its polar opposite, but kind of in the same world with, with, with false memory OCD, the obsession is whether or not you actually did this thing, whether or not this recollection of an event or of something that you did or an interaction that you have, it, whether or not that's a real thing that happened or whether or not it is made up or whether or not it is an elaboration or an exaggeration or just the, the, the whether or not it existed at all. And then there's a lot of compulsions that go on about that. First, the compulsion of rumination, which is going to be the most common form of this. It's going to be reflecting back on it. There's going to be um, you know, playing that story out to feel for its authenticity. There's going to be uh, uh, changing details on it or changing details before it or after it in your mind to see, if, to see like what events led up to this to either prove that it did happen or to try to provide evidence that it could never have happened, um, thereby giving you relief and certainty that everything was going to be all right. Other things that people can do is is ask uh, others, friends, family members, hey, did this thing happen or did I say this thing? Some people will go and review their their emails and see if they sent that email that they're thinking about, speaking of emails. Uh, they, might, uh, they might do a, any number of things ultimately to try to prove that this thing did not happen or try to prove that this memory is either true so they, they say, well, if it's true, well, at least I know what to do. I need to take action on this. And they hope that it's not true because very often the false memory is about something that is just catastrophic, something awful in their mind. So, Russ, it sounds like that's where you're at. You are terrified that maybe this thing had happened and maybe you actually did this horrendous thing. So, you will have to practice acceptance of the presence of this doubt but the goal then is to resist the analysis, the checking, the asking, anything that you're doing that, that treats this thought as if it's real or this thought as if it's a genuine threat, that needs to be avoided. So the question that you said is, <clears throat> if I do ERP for these fears and they still continue to bother me, is that indication that the false memory might actually be true? No, 0%. Just because you feel the thing doesn't mean that it's true. Don't let OCD lie to you. That's OCD's a lie. It's trying to lie to you. But then you're going to say is, what are some examples of ERP you can do for false memory? So one of the best things that you can do, well, all right, this is going to be, I'm kind of torn on this. The best thing that ultimately you can do, Russ, is to not spend any more amount of time thinking about this. All it's doing is, is providing airtime and brain time and energy and effort to something that may or may not actually be true. Now, because you have doubt as to whether or not this thing happened, as, as you're saying, it's false memory. Did I actually do this? If it actually happened, someone will tell you. It will come to light. It will happen at some point in the future. But you know what? That's somewhere in the future that may or may not happen but it ain't happening right now. What you're doing is spending a lot of time on something that may or may not be true. It's like you're not spending a lot of time thinking about what you're going to do with all the money you're going to get from winning the lottery, or how you're going to handle it when aliens attack us, or what you're going to do if, I don't know, you lose an arm and it's replaced by, I don't know, a bird wing or a hook or something like that. You're not thinking about that stuff, are you? But you're thinking about this. 
this is this is no different. Ultimately, this is a thought that is that we're going to place in the future. So the first, the most important thing that you can do is to disengage from any further rumination, questioning, and analysis of that. So obviously that's going to be difficult. But the thing that you can do is you can practice exposure to the uh, to the feared outcome. And the, I think the best thing that you can do with that is probably through scripting and through through just writing out that story of getting caught for this thing. Actually, I'll, I'll go back on that. There are two things you can do. One, playing out this story as if you you it is true and you got caught. And the purpose of that is to pl- let that story play. So, in other words, the scripting is you write a story in first person and in present tense, this narrative of, of, of you actually getting caught. And the purpose of it is playing it out to its logical conclusion. And as you reread it and as you write it, the point is just to have those images come in mind, to have the feelings go through your body, and to just let those feelings come and go, to let those thoughts come and go, let those mental images come and go, without then expending any energy on solving it, fixing it, getting rid of it, turning it into something it ought to be or shouldn't be or whatever but just letting it be there and letting it go. Now, you read and write this story when you're not already triggered. When you are already triggered, as you probably are a lot of times, that's when you disengage from it. That's when you let go of the problem solving and you get on with your day. You shift and focus on something else, anything else. Go for a run, go for a walk, learn to juggle, uh, call up a friend, play some video games. I don't care, and nor should you. The point is to go and do something that is of marginal more importance to you than spending any more time thinking about this maybe event. If, you're in, if you can do that, great. And then if you want to amp that up, then you can play that story out when you're not already triggered by reading and writing or writing and reading this story and continuing to practice the same thing disengagement from compulsive behavior. So that's going to be the best thing that you can do. There are a couple other things that you might be able to do, but I think those are just such fine-tuning types of things that it would really depend on what your other compulsions are. But Russ, I would start by doing that. Um, and uh, and also, uh, I should say, go and talk to a therapist about this. Chat with him or her. If you already have a therapist, chat with him or her about these techniques and see if they are effective for you. Um, and if they aren't, then do whatever they're saying. So, Russ, I hope that was helpful. And best of luck. All right, this next question comes from Jessica. Jessica says, can angry rumination be a compulsion? I've noticed that I often have an anxious thought about something. For example, whether a friend is judging me and I immediately get angry. I become absolutely convinced that she is judging me that she's an awful judgmental person, and I launch into an angry mental rumination about it. I suspect this might be a compulsion because I'm essentially using the angry rumination to relieve my anxiety. I initially feel anxious because of the uncertainty about whether the friend is judging me. My self-righteous anger is a secondary emotion that gives me certainty. She's judging me, and she's wrong. I spend a lot of time caught up in anger rumination like this, and I don't like it. I can see how it's giving me a really negative outlook on the world. Is it possible to apply ERP in this situations, and if so, how? Does ERP need to be modified if the main emotion driving the rumination is anger and not anxiety? Then she says, thank you. 
So Jessica, this is a great point. Can rumination be a compulsion? Yes. Can anger rumination be a compulsion? Yes. Um, and gosh, I'll tell you, you kind of did half my job already. So thanks. It's very insightful of you to to recognize that you are using this this kind of self righteous anger, this mental fight you're having with this person, as a mask, a covering for your anxiety. Kind of, it, it, I imagine it's like if you're fighting with this person and really telling her off and really winning the fight. You're kind of proving that you're the winner here. You are you are righteous. You are in the right, right? Somebody to that, to that effect. But to your question is, can it be a compulsion? Yes. So as you've already noticed, getting into the self-righteous argument isn't really helpful. And I'll say this. I ain't above this either. I do this. I do this as well. When I get uh, upset or triggered, or like my my uh, um, my my anxiety is sometimes triggered, and that may be just my insecurities or something to that effect. I sometimes get into an argument with this person in my head. Um, is it the best thing that I do? Certainly not. Is it something that I do? Also, yes. But the fact that we can catch ourselves is important. Number one, that you recognize that it's happening, and you and you. You're honest with yourself. I'm doing that thing again, whatever you want to call it. And the most important thing that you can do here is to resist continuing on with that fight and try shifting that attention just ever so slightly into something that's that's of, of, of better value. And try to get engaged with that type of thought. And it may just be, and, and the, the simplest form of this and ultimately the, the most helpful form of this is to just let that argument go and to let the the holding on of that feeling go. What I imagine you're doing in the way that we sometimes justify our compulsions is that we take that that feeling, it comes in our body, we grab onto it, we hold onto it, we squeeze it, and we, we argue with it, or we try to twist it into something, or we try to choke it to death and hoping it's going to go away. Now, Ironically, what we're doing in our hopes to make it go away, we are holding on to it as tightly and as closely to us as we can. If you could see my body, I, it's like I'm taking a stuffed animal and I'm, I'm pressing it against my body and kind of squeezing my hands and squeezing my body and squishing my face together. And it's kind of what we do to try to destroy this this compulsion. But all it does is it just... it. it it makes my body more tense. It makes us more tense. It has, it has the opposite effect of what we're hoping it is. What we ultimately need to do with that is just to let go of that fight. And that doesn't mean that we try to win it and then move on. It doesn't mean we say, everything's going to be okay, and then try to move on. It means that we let it go and we resist the continued engagement with the argument. There can be something relieving in our body and our mind when we just... We let it loose. And it's, the, it's a muscle that we practice where w when I do this, like I, it, there's almost this sense in my brain and my head and, you know, whether or not this is genuine or whether or not I'm just imagining this, but it almost feels as if there is an exhale in my brain or there is a releasing of something in my body. And what it does is it, re it releases me back to this moment. And, and I'm not as tense. I'm not fighting as hard. I just kind of reflect back on just what's here and the sounds that are here, and the feelings that are in my body, and the, and the weather, and the clothes on my skin, and just this moment. Because this moment is actually really peaceful, and usually our moments are, 
They're also boring. You've heard me talk about that. But they're also very peaceful. It is that argument that pulls us out of what's happening right now into, in your case, maybe fantasy land, something that may or may not actually be happening. And then we turn our attention, we focus towards that. And the more that we turn our attention towards it, the bigger it is and the louder it is and the more um, uh, clear it becomes. Our anxieties and our angers, when they just naturally occur to us, they're kind of vague and abstract and they're just kind of there. But sometimes we then turn our attention towards it and we just start grabbing onto it and we just start clarifying it and really start thinking about what it is and what they said and what I would say and what they would say and how this would happen and how I would feel that I'd punch them in the face or whatever it is, right? When we let that go and just let ourselves be in the present, it feels calmer. It feels more at peace. I think that for you might be one of the best things that you can do first and foremost, the other is then to look at, well, what is that underlying anxiety, as you said? What is the thing that's motivating that, that sadness, that anxiety, that worry? That they're judging you. That they think something about you. Well, what is it that they're judging? What is it that they're saying? What are you afraid of them, them being said about? Or what are you afraid of being said about you? We can sit with the uncertainty about that, the uncert and, and also sit with the sadness of maybe they did say that. That's okay. We can, we, can, we can feel sad for the possibility of something happening. That's okay, because sometimes if people are judging us, you know, that's sad. But we also don't need to dwell in that. We also don't need to make it a big thing. And uh, the, a similar thing is to say that there are a lot of existential things that could, be tr that could happen or could be true, and those are completely sad. Um, you know, I think about, you think about your loved ones getting into car accidents. That could happen, and, it would, and that thought is incredibly sad. But we also don't need to spend any amount of time thinking about it either. On a side note, with, with the worry about people judging us, while what I'm about to suggest may certainly be compulsive and likely can become compulsive for a lot of people, but sometimes when I reflect on whether or not people are judging me, I spend about five seconds thinking about if there's any validity to, a, to that judgment. Could some of the judgment that people are making or could be making about me be true? And if so, does that, is that my body and my brain responding to something that I recognize that I don't like about myself or something that I'm doing or something that is leading me off course of what my values are? Is anything like that happening? But remember, I spent about five seconds thinking about it. If I don't find anything very quickly that is evidence of something that may be afoot, um, I just I just go, well, then I can't think about anything. And then if something comes up later, I might spend another five seconds. But if I don't think of anything, I have to move on. I have to shift out of that. If we identify something and it feels like something we're willing to change or would be reasonable to change or shift or address, maybe I'll look into that. But I'm willing to bet you've done this and you haven't found anything. Now, again, this exercise that I'm talking about here is not for everybody. And I'm going to kick myself in the future because someone is going to hear that and say, Kevin, you told me to do a compulsion. And that's why I've been in therapy for 20 years or something like that. So use this, use this with caution or take that with a grain of salt. Jessica, 
to your anxieties, as we've been talking about with all of them, is we have to accept that maybe they're true and maybe they're not. But we also don't need to spend our time wasting our time ruminating about it. Do you also, you can do scripting with it. You can, you can work with a therapist to, to start working on facing those fears through exposures. And all of that may be beneficial. And if I knew more details about what you're talking about, I might be able to give you some suggestions or some guidance and some direction. But ultimately, with all of this, the th- best thing that you can do is to actually just back off of the rumination and the fighting and, and accept that uncertainty and, and let go of that argument with this person. It might feel weird, and it might feel unsatisfying, uh, it might feel empty, it might be doubly frustrating because now you're not, you know, enacting that self-righteous anger and there's, you know, something enjoyable about that in like a backwards weird way, but we both know it's just unhelpful, right? So... So I hope, Jessica, any of this was helpful for you. And um, and I'd love to hear more details about this if you want to send another email or send a follow-up with how things have been going with this. So again, thank you so much for this question. All right, this last question comes from, I kid you not, Laser Taser 69 That is the name that they wanted to put out there. So whoever that is, this is their question. They say, greetings and salutations, Kevin. They said, huge fan. They spelled it, they just spelled it out, added a lot of G's and E's in there. Anyways, huge fan. Been listening since, I think, episode five. You always know what to say to trigger me. Um, I'm, I'm going to see a therapist tomorrow and we'll be asking her opinion, but also wanted to get your opinion on this. What would you recommend to people who have types of OCD like like sexual orientation OCD, harm, and other pure O types, and then went out and did unconventional exposures like engaging in certain things, going to certain places, trying to get that trigger, and then sitting with it, and for the most part got the trigger and then accomplished the exposure, but now but now no longer focuses so much on how the original obsession was and focuses more on the real event of, why did I do that? Now what will people think of me because I did that? How do I accept this uncertainty of being this, quote, horrible person and cope with the images I've seen from going through that exposure? So how do I accept the realities and move forward plagued with that, what if people already know, what if people find out? And they say, I hope that makes sense. Also, what are some mindfulness techniques and self-forgiveness, or taking down that inner critic, when you are really just trying to face your fear head-on and feels like you overdid it? All right, well, Laser Taser, thank you so much for this, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Again, it means so much to me that people would listen to this, and I hope that you have found help within this. I hope that other folks are finding help with this as well. So... So it sounds like what's going on here is actually just another continuation of your anxiety. And it is now just anxiety's other and similar and continued way of just trying to rope you back in to the same original fear. It just sounds slightly different. It still is, oh no, what if I'm a horrible person because I did these things? Well, it was probably the same question as the original exposure, right? Well, what if I do the original exposure might have been, I don't know, let's, let, how about this? For example, some people will do this. A great exposure for a sexual orientation OCD would be going to a gay bar. 
I've taken a number of people to a number of different gay bars um, as part of exposure. And you go and you hang out and you dance and you you talk to people and you just realize, oh, it's just just a bar. That's that's it, right? Or you go, oh my gosh, I went and I didn't all of a sudden turn gay, or I didn't it didn't just click within me and go, oh my gosh, I am. You just found out it was just a gay bar and you're just a person. You have these thoughts, right? Okay, so. Some people will then have this thought that, oh my gosh, what? I mean, I went to a gay bar. I did. What does that now say about me? Because straight people don't go to gay bars or, you know, other stuff, harmosity. People who aren't violent don't write horrible, violent stories, right? People who aren't violent don't hold knives to people's necks. All of these things being great exposures for harmosity, right? And it can even be more abstract than that. Like, you know, norm, quote, normal people, they don't watch, you know, all the Saw movies over and over and over again. Well, first off, they might, right? There are plenty of people who do. But this is just another way OCD is trying to rope you back in by saying, here, here's these things. And see, it just confirms your original fear or it confirms this new fear that you are awful or bad or terrible. Ultimately, Laser Taser, you're just going to have to accept the possibility that maybe it does say these things about you, but also to spend a 0% amount of time thinking about it. Zero amount of time trying to beat yourself up or trying to confirm or question or try to find certainty about what these other people are thinking about you. Instead, moving on with your life. Because ultimately within this, there's no magic phrase that I can give you nor anybody else can give you that's going to either alleviate this anxiety or this question or to give you certainty and answers to the question that you're asking. Because that would be a compulsion and ultimately it would be a lie. I could say anything right now and you might go, oh, Kevin told me that feels like such a relief. And then five minutes later you go, but how does he know? And then you're back to the races. The point for you is to disengage with that question, with the evaluation. Again, this mental rumination or checking or avoidance, that's the problem. With your case, it may be helpful to have that that Switzerland approach we've been talking about. That's that neutral approach, right? It's neither yes, it's neither no, but it's maybe. It's, what are they going to think about me? Maybe I'm a horrible person. Maybe. You know, maybe I am a terrible person. Would it be so terrible if I was terrible? I mean... I'd be like everybody else. If the option is perfect or terrible, the vast majority of people out there are terrible then, if that's the case, right? Because who's perfect? Who do you know, laser taser, that's perfect or on the straight and narrow or just it, by your definition, not a terrible person? Because whoever that person is that you you just thought about who's this not a terrible person you could probably think about them. You could probably think about some things about them, or if you really had a conversation about them, and they told you some stuff that they thought or did or have experienced. Maybe not have experienced, but like thought or said or did or do. You might go, "Oh my God, they're terrible like me." Well, because we all are, right? But we all aren't because we're all normal. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe. I'm kind of all over the place. The whole point about this is, is to accept that middle ground that maybe we are and maybe we're not, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Trying to get the answer is the useless endeavor. Yes, you want the answer. And if you all of a sudden get that answer somewhere ages and ages hence, great. But for right now, you don't have it. And all the hours that you have spent trying to get that answer are gone. They're wasted. 
instead, we need to bring ourselves back to this moment and just go, maybe I am, and I'm going to take my horrible, terrible person, and I'm going to go get ice cream. I'm going to go watch this movie, or I'm going to go out on a date, or I'm going to go do something. But I'm going to be this maybe terrible, horrible kind of person and be the best version of me that I can. Because that's probably what you want to do. I imagine you actually want to be a good person. That's probably why this is your obsession. Or you want to be whatever it is. Your obsession attacks the things that you care about the most. So go and be the best version of you and accept that maybe these things are going to backfire on you. Or they have already backfired on you. But then go and be the best version of it. Right? It's like, think about a car. You buy a brand new car. It's gorgeous. And the second you leave the lot, you hit a pole and you scratch the side of it. The car is ruined. It's destroyed. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. Do you just burn the car to the ground? Do you say because it has this scuff on it, it means that it's useless now? You might as well just put, you just drive it into a ditch and, and never look at it again? course not you'd go ugh, that sucks well i guess i'm gonna drive this until the wheels fall off probably right and that's kind of what we do and even if it wasn't you hit a pole it's that in the course of driving that car stuff is going to happen to it now this is isn't the best example because this this would actually acknowledge that there's a scuff and a mark on something that quote was perfect at one point but that's one assuming the car was perfect it wasn't and assuming that that scuffs are real in the case of our emotion or our character and in the in, in this case of you having done these exposures as if they are marks or scuffs you are viewing these exposures as marks and scuffs on your character they aren't. These are activities that you did that your brain is trying to just rope you back into by coloring them as dangerous and bad. These were things that you did, and they have to be accepted as part of you. So what are some mindfulness things that you can do? Well, part of it is to sit back and acknowledge the thought. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about that. Okay. And, and observe it and describe it. Now, this isn't to try to make it go away. This is to just try to simply tolerate the fact that you see it. Um, a similar exercise can be done if you're watching a scary movie, and if you pause it in the scariest part and just stay there on that screen and just sit there and look at it and describe it and describe the colors and the textures and the whatever is happening in objective terms, over time it stops, to, it stops becoming as anxiety-provoking. And that's something that we can do with our thoughts. We can sit there and just observe them and just say, this is the thought that's in my head. A similar activity can be done with that inner critic. I take note of what that inner critic is saying, and we can acknowledge what they're saying, but we also don't have to elaborate on or treat it like it's true. If it says you're awful, you go, ah, I'm noticing that my inner voice says that I'm awful. All right, well, that's weird. Or if it says, you know, no one's ever going to like you or love you because of this. You go, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Thanks, inner voice, for, for chiming in on that. That's, a, that's one inner critic's opinion. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. What that does is it's, it's not giving it a, a confirmation that it's true, but it's also not fighting against it. It just acknowledges that that's what's there. It doesn't provide, in other words, it doesn't provide judgment or value on it. It just simply acknowledges that it's present. Now, I'll also say this. Any of these mindfulness techniques are also going to be giving this thought way too stinking much attention. 
some other things that you can do within self-compassion is also to note how you are limiting yourself or how you are uh, reserving love and care and peace in your life because of these things is it that you stop yourself from doing things is it that you uh, heap on judgment and criticism towards yourself because of it one i'd say resist the urge to beat yourself up any further and allow yourself to go have fun and enjoy life and and receive love and joy and peace in your life those are some things that we all deserve and we all uh, should have. And when we don't allow ourselves to because we think that we, quote, don't deserve it or because we are awful, it, 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 it ultimately is unhelpful. Sometimes our inner critic says that, that we should beat ourselves up. We should receive punishment for those things because of X, Y, or Z or anything like that. That's BS. Instead, go and do those things. Allow yourself to still have a wonderful, fruitful, and love-filled life as best you possibly can. You've heard me say my, my definition of forgiveness that I love is no longer seeking punishment towards myself or somebody else for harms done. In that, you're also perceiving that there are harms done. That is, ultimately, you don't need self-forgiveness because you haven't done anything wrong, it sounds like. I mean, other than all the other stuff that we all do, but within exposures, you haven't done anything wrong. You've done exposures. Those, those are great. Your brain is misinterpreting those things as wrong or bad. Instead, give yourself compassion for the things that you did and give yourself compassion for, uh, for maligning yourself and your behaviors. And sometimes that involves reminding yourself that you're just doing your best. Sometimes it means reminding yourself just once and lightly that you, you did those things because of exposures and you did those things because they were helpful. And they were, it sounds like. And then you move on to the next thing. So, Laser Taser, I hope that was helpful, and I hope um, uh, some of this is helpful guidance for you. But I'm sorry that OCD is trying to rope you back in, but you know what? This is OCD's game. When you start noticing that thought again, go, I'm on to you, OCD. I know what you're doing. I see you. I see you trying to get me. But then keep moving on, right? It's like, a, it's like an internet bully or a... Um, a troll that's just trying to get you to to come back in um you know it's tempting Ugh, it's tempting with trolls right it's tempting with the the you know awful people on the internet but you know what you're 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 bigger than that you're smarter than that you're wiser than that we see it we go oh i know i want to get back in there i don't want to get back in the ring and then we just go it's not worth my time or my energy and go find something else to do with your time so Again, Laser Taser, thank you so much for that question, and thank you so much for listening. All right, everybody, thank you so much for getting through this episode of the FearCast. Everybody, um, again, if you have nothing going on on July 31st, I did it, July 31st. If you have nothing going on that day, check out the SoCal OCD conference. Go over to SoCal OC, or OCDSoCal.org and uh, check out their conference. See if there's some talks and some people you want to listen to and uh, sign up. And if you want to, and if you feel so inclined to, um, go check out our talk. It would be delightful to see you there. So, everybody, thank you so much for getting through this episode. If you have a question or feedback uh, for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can uh, submit a question there. Um, also, go check me out over at Instagram. Um, I am Fearcast Podcast, um, and I'm also at Fearcast Podcast over at uh, Facebook. So go check me out on apparently only Facebook accounts for some reason. Anyways, um, please remember everybody that the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. 
install education and guidance and encouragement. But remember, I ain't your therapist. You got other therapists out there. I'm just some some dude on the internet. Anyways, uh, if you need help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be ask uh, or uh, uh, find help link and there's going to be some stuff there that may be helpful for you. All right, everybody, until next time, remember, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Bye.